Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. The question that you've already been asked, but you will be asked again and again tomorrow, what are you grateful for? What are you grateful for? And most of us are accustomed to the question enough to where we have a few answers that can come to mind, and those answers uh, run along the usual lines. We're grateful for family, for friends. We're grateful for opportunities. We're grateful that we endured whatever it is we had to endure over the past year, and uh, grateful that, that maybe things are getting better. When we talk about that kind of gratitude... There's a superficiality to it. There's an awkwardness even to the question, having it sprung on you. What are you grateful for? What are you grateful for? Give me a list of things that you're grateful for. We get through it the way we get through a lot of things in life during the holidays. We just grit our teeth and we say what's expected of us. We give the right kinds of answers. And the tragedy is a lot of times we never stop to think about the question itself. What are we really grateful for? There is a kind of gratitude that doesn't depend on the circumstances of your life. There's a kind of gratitude that it's possible to have that isn't based on whether or not you had a good year or not, isn't based on whether or not uh, your family and friends have been good to you or not. It's not based on on anything that's happened to you. The question is, where is that kind of gratitude found? That's the kind of gratitude I'd like. Because... I don't know about you, but I feel a lot of pressure to be thankful, especially around Thanksgiving. Like if people say, what are you thankful for? And you say nothing. You just seem like you're the most callous and unfeeling person. And yet there are times when that's exactly how I want to answer the question. I want to just be rude and honest and say, you know what? I've got a lot going on right now and gratitude is not at the front of my mind. But there's that pressure. Right? You've got to feel something you can be thankful for, something you can feel uh, grateful about. There's got to be something. And so we search our minds for some banal thing that we can be grateful for. The thing about gratitude is that like joy, gratitude is really easy to fake. We've all been in that situation before. Uh, pardon me, Thanksgiving time for using a Christmas analogy. But, but you know what it's like when you receive a gift from someone that you really do love and you don't want to offend but it's kind of hard to imagine that they gave you this and they know you. It tests you, right? Because you open it and you know you're meant to seem excited. And so you do what's expected of you. You you fake joy. You fake joy. It's the polite thing to do. Well, gratitude is like that, right? We're always saying that we're thankful. We're always saying that we're grateful for things that honestly we're not that thankful for or grateful for. But it's what's expected of us. Look at Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord, he says. Rejoice in the Lord. And all too often we interpret those words to mean, make it look like you're happy. Seem like you're happy. At least put on a good show. The problem with faking it is this. When we fake our joy, we fake our gratitude, the focus that we have shifts away from the object of our gratitude onto the subject, in other words, us. It becomes about what we feel, or at least what we appear to feel, and so in our desperation, we look around for something to feel the right way about. If I can't feel grateful for my marriage right now, or my job right now, or my circumstances right now, I think of some other thing that I can feel good about. And so (laughs) my mind casts around for subjects or objects which will allow the subject, me, to feel the way I'm meant to feel. But Paul doesn't say here, feel joy. The command, the admonition is not feel some joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord. It matters what you rejoice in. It matters what the object of your gratitude is, and the object of your thankfulness. He's not just talking to us about the importance of feeling the right way. In fact, I would suggest he's not saying anything like that at all. When Paul says rejoice in the Lord, he's not telling us how to feel. He's telling us where to look. The point is not the the joy. The point is the Lord. The point is the Lord. So there's a gratitude that doesn't depend on circumstance. Where is it to be found? You may think the answer is, oh, in God, in Jesus. The answer must be, look to Jesus, because isn't that always the answer? But in this case, it's not. It's not. If you look at Isaiah 51 you'll see that that the answer is not to look to God. It's actually, ironically, to look to Abraham. Isaiah says this, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. If you want to know where to look for gratitude, for joy, for comfort, look to the rock from which you were hewn, Isaiah says. Look to the rock. When you look to the rock, you're being told to remember your source, remember where you came from. Like like you're the, the, the stone that's been broken off. And he's saying, go back to the place, the quarry that you were dug out of. Go back there and it's going to tell you something about who you are. Go back to that place, the rock from which you were hewn. And the rock turns out to be Abraham. Abraham is the rock from which we are hewn. If you look at the words 
Isaiah is speaking here. The Lord is speaking through Isaiah. He's saying something like this. Zion is a desert. Zion is a wasteland, but I'm going to make it into a garden. I'm going to make that desert flourish. And if you don't believe that, look at Abraham and Sarah. Because that couple, they were a desert. Nothing was going to spring from that marriage, from that relationship. It was too far gone. And if you look at some of the details, it wasn't that solid in a lot of ways. This is not the place you would have expected that the tribe of Israel, the people of God to have sprung from. And yet, that's the desert that God made into a garden. That's where he brought his tribe, his people, forth from. So if you don't think he will do to Zion what he promises, look to Abraham and Sarah and see what he did there. Go back to the rock from which you were hewn. The little piece of you that was broken off of that big rock. Go back and look what happened to them. And ask yourself again whether or not what's been promised to you will take place. This is a metaphor, right? It's a symbol. To go back to the rock from which you were hewn, uh, there's some symbolism involved here. And it actually has two layers that are worth noticing. Right? The metaphor, it's a, it's a sign. It's a picture it's speaking to us first about what God did for them so that we can have trust that he will do it for us. If you doubt what's been promised to you, look at what was done for them. For Abraham, the, the founder of the people. But all of us as children of Abraham, look back to the faithfulness of God to Abraham. Because what God did for them, he will do for you. Because you come from them, Another way of putting it is you have inherited the same promise. It's not a mistake that Abraham, not Adam, is who's mentioned here. The reason why Abraham is the one that we're pointed back to is it is Abraham who receives the covenant promise from God. that The promise that I will multiply you, that I will build a people from you. Like This is the promise, the covenant promise that we have inherited in Jesus Christ. Because we have inherited that promise, we come from Abraham. And if we doubt what God is going to do for us, we need only look back to what God did for him. When you look to Abraham, you look first of all to the covenant that you're a part of. But also you look to the history of fulfillment of that covenant over time. In other words, we're being asked to look back in time at God's faithfulness. And that's what we do at Thanksgiving, right? We look back over the course of, of time, the past year, and we try to remember the faithfulness of God. We try to remember the things that happened. Well, here, that's exactly what we're being told to do. Only, we're not being asked to go back a year. We're being asked to go back all the way to the beginning of that covenant relationship with Abraham. To see that we're part of that covenant and that the history of fulfillment, what was done in the life of Abraham, is a kind of seal on the promise that's been made to us. As he flourished, so will you. Which means that this is actually exactly telling us to look to Jesus. Only it's telling us to look to Jesus in a very particular kind of way. Looking to Abraham is looking to Jesus specifically as the fulfillment 
of promise. Because the promise that is made to Abraham, the promise that is reiterated generation after generation of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is literally the, the apex of the history of fulfillment of that covenant promise. So we can't look back to the promise without looking to Jesus who stands there as a fulfillment, who stands there as a sign. So that if we doubt that He will come again, if we doubt that, that He will ultimately save us, then all we need to do is look back to the time when He came for the first time in fulfillment of that promise. The rock metaphor is a powerful one, I think, because it's one that Paul will later use in talking about Jesus, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, when Paul is going back to the covenant people of Israel, he's talking about the deliverance of Israel across the Red Sea, as we saw in our psalm earlier. When he talks about those things, he describes all the signs that accompany the people in the desert as sacraments, right? sacramental language, that they ate and they drank, they partook of Christ as we do, and the rock that followed them, the rock that gave them water in the wilderness, that rock, Paul says, was Christ. The rock was Christ. Christ is our hope. He is our anchor. He is a sign of good things to come. So if we want to know where the source of gratitude is, the gratitude that goes deeper than circumstance, then Christ is the answer. Specifically, Christ is the fulfillment of all God's promises. And that is the only lasting comfort. The only lasting comfort that we have is the Lord's comfort of Zion. It's interesting in English, the way we use this word comfort. Um, think about the opposite of comfort, discomfort, uh, to be uncomfortable. When we talk about feeling discomfort or feeling uncomfortable, we're talking about minor irritations, slight pains. If you suffer a gunshot wound, you probably are not going to turn to the person next to you and say, I feel uncomfortable. I, I'm experiencing discomfort, right? Because it, it, it's not really, we don't use words like that for pain that's up here. We use words like that for pain that's down here. Isn't it interesting that when you're feeling pain that's up here, the most we can do for you is comfort you. The most we can offer you is comfort. When you are sick in the hospital, we can come and we can comfort you. We can't turn back the clock. We can't alleviate what's wrong with you, but we can comfort you. If your relationships, your marriage is falling apart, we can comfort you. We can't fix it, but we can comfort you. And when we speak that way, it suggests that all that we can do, all that we can offer, is something actually very slight. That comfort is, is it's not much of a solution if the problems that we have are large. And I think we speak about comfort and discomfort in this way because our comforts are slight. The, the places where we seek comfort, they are slight. They are passing. 
in our anxiety and in our fear, we seek comfort in uh, things, sex, money, drugs, drink, food, comfort food, anyone? And that comfort doesn't last. It doesn't last. Like We know that our remedies to pain, our remedies to our, our crises, are just band-aids. There is a remedy. There is a comfort, though, that's not like that. And that's the comfort of God. The comfort that the Lord offers to Zion. The comfort that doesn't just come to you in that desert place and say to you, wow, I feel bad for you. This is really uncomfortable. The comfort, rather, that enters into the desert and makes that desert into a garden. This is the comfort that God offers to us. And we will never experience real gratitude, real thankfulness, until we receive that comfort and rest in that comfort. Which means that in this life, you will never feel as grateful as you should feel. We will always struggle with this sense that that we're digging deep, that we're struggling to to find things to be really thankful for. And maybe that's not such a bad thing. Because our struggle to connect with real gratitude is a way of remembering that the rock that we're part of is too big for our hearts to hold. That our hope isn't in any comfort that can be offered to us in this life. That the gratitude that we feel ultimately is is gratitude to a Lord who has come and will come again, whose promises have not yet been fulfilled, but we have faith that they will. And that's what we struggle to be thankful for. You look at Paul's words again. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What we need, honestly, this Thanksgiving and every Thanksgiving isn't just to to find circumstances in our lives that we can be grateful for. What we need is to offer thanksgiving to God and to feel the peace that can come only from Him. So that the gratitude that we feel has nothing to do with whether it's been a good year or not. Nothing to do with whether things are going right for us. There's a gratitude that is based on a faith that God will be faithful to us in the end. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.